Thanks, guys. Y'all give the band a hand. Didn't they do great today? Thank you for being here today. I'm so glad that you're here. I just I see uh, Charles Huggins back there. Pray for Laura's mother, Doris. Uh, talked to her this morning. Uh, may have had a heart attack. So y'all pray for, for that situation. There's many, many others, of course. I think I saw a, a newborn baby walk in back there. Did I, Michael? Did I see a newborn baby somewhere? Are we good? Oh, grandmama's got it. Okay. All right. Congratulations to you guys. If you have your Bibles today, why don't you turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, we've been talking about an extraordinary life and how to have the extraordinary life and, of course, accentuating the word extra, extra, because realizing that we're dealing with an extraordinary God, but it's an ordinary people. How many of you know that you're just ordinary? How many of you know that? We are. There's nothing special about us in and of ourselves. In fact, the Bible uh, kind of contradicts a lot of our misnomers about us down here in the Bible Belt, the good old boy mentality that we're pretty good gals and we're pretty good guys. The Bible kind of destroys that paradigm and says, no, there's none righteous, no, not one. In fact, the only good in us if we read the scriptures, is that that's in us through the person of Jesus Christ, the indwelling Holy Spirit of God that lives in us. That's the only thing that makes us righteous. In fact, the Bible says that he who knew no sin, speaking of Jesus, became our sin, that you and I may be made the righteousness of God in him. That today we stand righteous before a holy God, not because we have a good job, not because we're a part of Northridge Church, not because we have won all of these accolades and all these great credentials that we follow behind our name. The reality is, is that we're not good in and of ourselves, but in Him, we're more than that. The Bible says we're more than a conqueror. We become extraordinary when we encounter the person of Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you today, but that excites me because here's what I know to be true. Today in the life that we're living, the culture that we're living, we need to live an extraordinary existence. The world is watching us. The world is watching what we say. They're watching what we don't say. They're watching our Facebook posts. They're watching whether we come, whether we go. If we stand in light of terrible loss and tragic times, how do we deal with those things? And you say, Mark, does that mean we have to be perfect? No, 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 we don't. In fact, we're not. In fact, we're going to fail him every single day. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that each day, watch this, we fall short. We come short. That word in the Greek is an aorist tense, which means it's not something that we did in the past. Just because we're a Christian today doesn't mean we're not going to fail him again tomorrow. And it also is not a future thing indicating that there's some gloom and doom in the future that we're going to fail. No, no, no. We're failing him daily, moment by moment, because we still have this sin nature, this flesh that we call it, that we're the mortality of man, that we're traveling in this imperfect body. You know that if you look in the mirror and you see your hair's turning gray or turning loose or things are not where they used to be or you have pains in places you didn't know you had, that indicates, uh, thank you, Keith, that indicates that you and I are dying. There is an appointment, the Bible says, unto death, but after this, the judgment. And you say, man, that's kind of a morbid thought. But the reality is, and here's what I want to say to the church today. We need to realize that our time on earth is somewhat counted among us. It is a vapor, if you will. It's here one moment and the next. The psalmist says, help me to know my days and, and how fragile my time is. But my life is but a handbreadth. It was a measuring rod where they would take four fingers and measure in the context of a, of a line of eternity that our life is but a moment and then it's gone. What are we doing with what we have? The Bible says... Redeem the time for what? The days are evil. You hear me say that all the time. There's a moment that we need to live in, the right now faith, that we need to categorically, intentionally say, what can I do today for the glory of God? What can I do right now? Not what am I going to eat after I leave the church. Not what is what news does Mark have for us tonight. Not what's going to happen next week. Not rush. Not the sunrise service. But what can I do for the glory of God today? And here's why. We're a busy people. 
Nothing wrong with that. I know that our culture has somewhat changed from the times that we've read, but can I tell you something? God's word and his purposes and his intent has never changed. God is not the least bit concerned about what we think about what he said. What he wants us to do is to be obedient to what he said, the end. And I think that's where we live today. And in the context of extraordinary, I think that's what's going to make us completely walking in a peace. The Bible says it passes human comprehension. Because I know this and you know this. The one thing we want that we lack in this world today is peace. In fact, I would submit to you that we want that above wealth. We want that above stuff. We want that above popularity. We just want to know that when we lie our head down at night, that we have a peace in our heart, that we can go to sleep, and our heart's not beating out of our chest and anxiety. We're not worrying about what happened yesterday and depression, but we can live in the peace that passes understanding. That's what I believe we want today. In fact, if you will, bow your heads with me, and let's just go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus today, I pray that you would breathe among your people that peace that passes understanding. To know that you are the God of the universe, That nothing has happened, nothing has come, nothing has gone. That you have not allowed for a purpose beyond our understanding. So today, Lord, I pray you would glorify yourself in this time. May your word be rightly divided. That truth would persevere today in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Today I want to talk to you about uh, a great escape. That there is an escape plan. That there is a a plan that has to be definitively written. It's been written in scripture. That we have to have a plan with a plan of action. Uh, The reality is that a lot of us have these intentions over here that we want to do great. We want to be great. We want to learn the word. We set resolutions at the turn of each year and only to find six or seven days into the year. We let them fall by the wayside. I'm talking about a transformation such that we know where we're going when we die. That's the real deal, guys. That's what's going to matter for all of eternity. We can put a lot of emphasis on the things that we do or don't do in this earth and we can be great here but the paradox of this is we can be great on earth and can be nothing in eternity the flip side of that is you can be last on earth but be first in heaven if you're nothing here you're going to be great the bible says if a man would humble himself that god would exalt him in due time but if a man would exalt himself he will be abased he will be humiliated among men The reality is, is there is a destination. You know, we don't talk a lot about this in the modern church today. There is a destination. In fact, there's one of two places where we will spend eternity. Not because I think so, not because you think so, but because the Word of God definitively, unapologetically says there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. That is definitive. You don't have to believe it. In fact, if you go back into Noah's day, the Bible says that they had never had a raindrop fall to the earth. And when he began to tell them, hey guys, it's going to rain, you need to pick up a hammer pick up a board hey help me carry that timber no one thought it was going to exist why because it had never happened before the reality is is we will die and at some point we will enter into an eternal state death is not the end but death is the transitional beginning of all of things the finality of all things a new heaven and a new earth as the bible says the old things the former things will be passed away he says behold i come to make all things new you think you're new when you get saved guys you can't fathom what it's going to be like when you stand before god the newness the grace the love there'll be no reason for the sun sun to shine because jesus is the light and it's going to shine with a heavenly light the beauty the the, the majestic the smell the everything that goes on will be perfect that's what god intended and that's what we're going back to but i believe that there's some things we need to avoid when i was a child i was real funny about being pinned down i didn't like to be um 
restrained. Does anybody else like that? Just freak out if somebody restrains you? How many women in here are like that? My wife is not here today. Y'all pray for her. My wa- if you restrain my wife, she'll cut you. She, she can't be restrained. Literally will come unglued. I mean, cannot be restrained. And so what do I do? Because I love to have a good time. Y'all say it with me. I do what? I restrain her, of course. It's awesome. But as a young boy, I, I didn't like to be restrained because I felt like I lost control. I felt like I couldn't do anything about it. And it just drove me insane. I, I didn't like for people to come up behind me. And, and then at 17 years old, I entered the military and, and I went in. And, of course, that, that just kind of heightened that sensitivity to that very premise. Many of you guys have been in the military. You know, you don't, you don't really like somebody to come up behind you and, you know, you know, you don't like that. And, and as I got out of the military, I, I, uh, I became somewhat of a survival buff, if you will. I love to watch survival stuff because I, I always like to think that there is a way out of any situation. We go to a restaurant, and if you ever see me at a restaurant, I'm telling y'all way too much now. You're going to realize how crazy I am. I do not like to sit at a rest, in a restaurant with my back to the door. Colonel, can you attest to that? I don't like that. I don't like to sit with my back to the door. Do you know why? Y'all need to know why. Because I'm there to save you if someone should walk in. I'm serious. I am called to that place. You think you're at Peace Tree just eating. No, no, no. I'm on a mission. I'm eating my chicken, but you don't know what I'm packing here. And if somebody, I'm telling y'all, I know this is weird. And y'all are like going, yeah, he's really out there. But I'm going to tell you something. I literally can't, I can't go into Dairy Queen and eat ice cream without my, facing all potential exits. I know, I'm weird, aren't I? Oh, I'm not. Y'all do it too? And my wife, I mean, she'll go to sit down and she'll, oh, I'm sorry. And she'll come out because she knows how weird I am. But you know what? You guys are like that too. I watch you, and the reason that you laugh and the reason that that's somewhat comical is because we're all like that. Let me just say it like this. We're all, to some degree, it's not about escape. We're all control freaks. We all want to control, watch this, what comes into our life and what comes out. We want to control our kids' life. We want to control our children's destiny. Hey, nothing wrong with that. We want greater for them than we had for ourselves. But I want you to understand that there's also a spiritual side to this escape. That guys, if we're not intentional, and hear me, hear me loud and clear. If you've never listened before, hear me. There has to be an intentionality in our life today, not tomorrow. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. That we have to realize that there is only one way to heaven. Jesus said that in John 14. He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. He says, in my Father's house are many mansions. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. One of the disciples says, how do we get there? How do we know the way? And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man, listen to me, no man comes to the Father except by way of me. You don't have to agree to that. You just have to accept it. It is what it is. And I'm going to tell you something, guys. We're living in a culture. I heard Ravi Zacharias, one of my favorite apologists of, of, in, in the world, living today as far as I'm concerned. He will debate and contend for our faith among heads of state, among Muslim leaders and Hindu leaders and, and all world religions alike. And he, I remember there was one debate going on that I was watching one time on television. And the debate kind of ended in this little spiral after all of the vernacular and jargon of words that I can't spell or have never heard. Then they come to a point and this one Hindu leader stood up and he said, Peacefully I say to you this, brother, really and truly there is but one God. And that one God is on the mountain. And we down below, there are many trails to go up the mountain to that one God. He says, but we're all going differently, but we're getting to the same destination. 
I thought, wow, I'm glad I'm not there defending that one because that kind of sounds something that makes sense in our culture. Ravi Zacharias stood up. He said, you know what? You're exactly right. There is one God at the top of that mountain, and there are many trails. The only difference between your God and my God is my God didn't wait for me to come to him. He took the trail and came to me. And his name was Jesus. You don't have to understand it all. You just have to accept it. Let me read a few verses to you, if it will. Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 13, and going through verses about 23. Remember now, just in context, we're speaking, of course, uh, Jesus speaking after the Sermon of the Mount, which starts in, in Matthew chapter 5. It's the greatest, longest uh, discourses of his entire earthly ministry. He speaks on so many truths, so many things. He speaks about heaven. Not a lot said about heaven, but he speaks about that. He speaks about hell. He speaks about uh, blessings upon you, cursings upon you. He speaks about all these things. And then at the, at the corner of that... This is what he says in Matthew 7, 13 through 23. He says, enter by the narrow or straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way which leads to destruction. And there are many that will go by it. Verse 14, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. Don't miss this church. And there are few who find that one. Many find the wide gate, few find the narrow way. Be wary, says in verse 15, of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Here's the, here's the test. Here's the litmus test for you and I. How can we know who they are? He says, you will know them by their fruits. Notice there's a period there. The end. That's how we know. Definitively, that's how we know who is and who is not a child of the Most High God. Watch what he says. Do men, do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, uh, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear fruit, nor can a uh, bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree, by the way, that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You know why? Because we are called to be fruit bearers. That is your calling in life, is to bear fruit. You're to produce more of the worshipers that you have become. You are to produce more believers. You can call it discipleship. You know, we say a lot about salvation, and we should. The word salvation is mentioned three times in Scripture in the King James Bible. Disciple is mentioned 272 times. The reality is, as we know, and you know well alike, that we can't disciple someone that's not been saved. But hear me, salvation cannot be the end of what we do. It has to be the beginning. We have to teach people the word. We have to walk with them. We have to challenge them. We have to equip the saints. That's what you're here for today. Today is two things that's going on in this room. This is a hospital for the broken and the hurting and the undone. But it's also an equipping time for you to take. This is, listen guys, this is not game day. This is not just the day you wear your best. This is a day where you get equipped to go out there and do what God has called you to do. There are people dying every single day without the person of Jesus Christ. You're not okay with that. I'm not okay with that. But if we merely sit back without a plan of action, we are missing it. And we have something to do. There's the responsibility. We'll talk about that in a moment. Watch this. Verse 20. Therefore, by their fruits, he restates, you will know them. Had a friend of mine yesterday say this verse to me. He didn't even know what I was going to preach. And this message has been prepared for three weeks. And he said this to me yesterday. I want you to get verse 21. Don't, don't even look at me for a moment. Look at the screen. Look at your Bible. Go back and read this. This is a haunting proposition. Unless you know that you know that you know. Hear me. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. 
period. Verse 22, many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Watch what he's noticing here. He's speaking here of signs, wonders, and miracles that were evidence of, in their day, a lot of things going on spiritual. But watch what he says. Many will say to me in that day, uh, have I not prophesied in your name? Watch what else they may say. Have I not cast out demons in your name? And then here he qualifies it. Have I not done many wonders in your name? Speaking of the miraculous. Verse 23. And then I will declare to them, Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me. Those of you who practice iniquity or lawlessness. Mark, I'm a little scared of that. Well, don't be. The Bible says these things have I written to you that you may know that you have eternal life. Listen, I, I don't, I'm not in a hope so gospel. I'm not living a hope so existence. I know it unequivocally. And the Bible says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. You know what he does? He does it to you. He does it to me. If one little thing gets off kilter, here's what he'll do. He'll say, well, you're no good. You're not really saved. You're not really worthy. You're not really, can I tell you something? Here's what you need to do out loud to the enemy anytime he does that. James 4, 7, part B says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Here's what I believe you need to do. You need to tell him, say, Satan, you're a liar. And those are your lies. Those are your words. I am a child of the most high God and I'm no longer going to listen to your lies. Depart from me. Get behind me, Satan. Now, I know you're riding down the road. If you ever see me doing that, I get pretty pumped in the car, man. If I'm riding down the road in my truck and you see me going, and I'm just kind of rebuking Satan. Just pray for me. Because he never stops lying to us, guys. At the turn of the 1800s, there was a young man that was born. His name was Eric Weiss. He later changed his name to Harry Weiss. He later became Harry Houdini. This young man in 1926, after being a a magician that, that kind of came and went and did a few things... He, he, he was brought into a place with Scotland Yard and was placed in handcuffs. And they said, okay, I want you to do your magic here. Get out of these handcuffs. They are completely foolproof. You can't get out of them. The best in the world had gone in to make these handcuffs. Within about 15 seconds, he's out of them. It literally put his mark on the map as beginning the greatest escape artist in the world, still to this day. Harry Houdini went on to perform such tricks as the Chinese water chamber, the torture chamber, whereby he was shackled, put in a straitjacket, hung upside down, and submerged into water where he would do in full view for everyone to see on a stage under the, the, the vaudeville circuit, one of the greatest circuits of freak shows and music and sideshows and all. He was the number one act across the world, highest paid at that time. And he would be submerged upside down, absolutely no way out, and he would get out. He could hold his breath over three minutes. Superhuman feats that he would do. But what may be a little known fact is that also he was a very, a very athletic specimen. Had very strong stomach muscles. Very powerful mind. Just incredibly super fit young man. He's, most people say he was about 5'5". Five five. He, was, he was not really a tall guy in stature, but very muscular. Very much in shape. And one of the things that he would also do just as a, as a form of marketing is he would show up at, at professional boxing matches and he would take his shirt off to show he had nothing showing and he would let these professional heavyweight boxers rear back and punch him right in the abdomen. And he wouldn't even flinch. 
And it became such a spectacle that people would come from all over and want to challenge him. Of course, he would, he would take this mind over matter, this time of, of preparing himself, and they would punch him only for their hand to, to bounce off of this small man, but yet athletic built stature. And he, this went on for years. Well, towards the end of his time, he had, he had developed some sicknesses. He had a temperature, but being the man that he was, he would never uh, give up for a show. People had bought tickets. He said, I'm going to go out. And in the process of that, this young man, this young student, last name Whitehead, came to his show and walked in the back and there Harry Houdini, the greatest escape artist, illusionist of all time, laid back kind of casually in the couch, sipping on some water, preparing himself for the show. And the young man came up to him and some say that he asked could he hit him and some say nothing was said and so there's really not sure what happened. Some people say he was assassinated by this young man, that there was a plot to kill him, all these different rules, I mean things went around. But he came back and he began to wail on him two or three times till finally Harry caught his hand in mid-swing and stopped him but the damage had already been done. He didn't know it but that day that young man ruptured his appendix. And just a few short weeks later in the Detroit hospital, Harry Houdini died. Why do, you, why do you tell us about Harry Houdini? Because in the context of where I'm going today, Harry Houdini was one of the greatest illusionists the world has ever seen. But he died from a gut punch from a nothing person who never could have touched him in his prime. You know why? Because here's the reality. I'm afraid. I'm, I'm concerned, church that we're living an illusion, having the appearance of spirituality in the church today. And guys, the Bible says in verse 21 that there may be a gut punch, that we stand before him, and hear me, we will stand before him. Lord, Lord, have I not done all these things? In which case, the gut punch is, I never knew you. God, help us today that we have not lived an illusion. I want to give you four things today, real quickly, and I won't get through all of them. The escape plan that exists today in the church must realize and identify four things, if you're a note taker. Number one, that there is a path to destruction. That there is a path out there. Verse 13 says, Enter ye by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads unto destruction. There are many who will go in and find it that way. There is a broad way. And I want to submit to you that that word find it, it is a loosely translated word. Here's why. Because I don't believe we have to work. I don't believe we have to look for it. I don't believe we have to do anything if we want to find the broad way. You want to just by way of default find the broad way? Do nothing. Say nothing. Be a part of nothing. Ask Jesus for nothing. Pray to nothing. Do nothing. You will literally find it. Why? Because it's broad. Can I say it this way? It's, it's unobstructed. You just start walking in life and you inevitably will find the broad way. And the Bible says that that way, whereby many will find it, leads us to a path of destruction. It's a road, I submit to you today, that's paved by temptation. A lot of times when we go through difficulties in our life, Marital troubles, financial troubles, whatever the case may be, we immediately want to hold God accountable to those things. 
We want to know why God is tempting us, why we're being tested, and why all these things are happening. James kind of clears that up for us. He says, let no man say when he is tempted that he is tempting of God. God cannot be tempted with evil, nor does he tempt any man. You're not tempted. Watch this, guys, because God is upset with you or trying to just dangle some carrot in front of your face. No, no, no. Hear me. You are tempted when the Bible says when you're drawn away of your own lust, and when that work is finished, it brings forth sin. And when sin has had its perfect work, is death is the result. That's the destruction. You're tempted because you might be in the wrong places doing the right things or the right places doing the wrong things or you haven't asked God to continue to place that hedge of protection around you that we read about in Job chapter 1 or maybe you have chosen, watch this, to step outside of the protective hand of God. Oh, Mark, wait a minute. How can I do that if I'm a child of God? Let me tell you how. If you look into the, the gospel message, Luke 15, you see that there's a lost coin, a lost sheep, and a lost son. The lost son was a son of the father. That is established. Nothing he could do could change that. We see that in the finality of that story. He wasn't a son because he was worthy. He was a son by birth. Nothing changed that. Mamas and daddies, hear me. There is nothing in the world that your child could do that would make you look at them and say, you are no longer my child. And if you love your child that way, how much more do you think your father in heaven loves you? You can't get out of his hand if you wanted to. It's good news today, but watch this. I can step outside of his protective covering because I deliberately, willfully choose to do so. God will never, ever, ever grab you by the nap of the hair, by the neck and say, you will serve me. You will stay here. You will be under that protection. Do you know why? Because he gives you and I one of the greatest yet most destructive gifts that man can have, and that is the free will. You are a free moral agent. And that prodigal son who stepped out of the covering of his father, though he was still his father's son, guess what he didn't have? He didn't have the meals from the father. He couldn't sit at the father's table. He didn't have the protective covering of the father by way of the house. He didn't have fellowship with the father. But can I tell you something? The Bible says when he came to himself, which is a picture of repentance, the Bible says that he turned back and he went home. But guess what? The father wasn't like, well, I'll tell you what, I'll just tell him a little something. He was waiting on him. He had a plan when he got there. You know why? Because God is never, ever, ever looking at you and saying, well, you know what? I didn't need him or her anyway. He's standing there with open arms waiting for you to come back home. And to tell you, the reality is, I think sometimes the reason we don't go back is because we try to apply a finite understanding of God based upon who we are. There are people that's hurt us in our past, and we say this out loud. I don't care if I ever see them again. God doesn't fall into that paradigm. God is waiting for you to come back. But the path of destruction is one that's not only paved with temptation, it's paved with good intentions. You've heard this cliche. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. I believe with all of my heart that there are some well-intended folks in this room today and churches all over Upson County and America alike. I believe that we have greatest of intentions. I believe that we want to do better. I believe we want to take more time in the Word. But you you really got to ask yourself this question. If I have good intentions and I can't follow through with them, is it just my personality? Or is it this, that the enemy really sees value in your life so much so that he doesn't want you to connect to this word. He doesn't want you to connect to a holy God. So he continues to put little things in front of your life that hinder the work of God operating fully in your life. But here's what you got to do. 
you got to draw nigh unto God. Draw close to him. He will draw close to you. Then resist Satan. Resist the enemy. He'll flee from you. Why? Because there's a power in you, church. Listen to me, child of God. There's a power in you that is greater than any force the enemy can throw at you. But you got to believe that, and you got to stand on that. That's why the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. If you're operating in fear, you will never live and never rise to the place of extraordinary in the person of Christ. Why? Because you're going to live a life of spirit, fear when he says, I've not given you the spirit of fear, but of power and of a love and of a sound mind. He wants you to be great for his glory. And the reality is, is some of us just continue to walk aimlessly to the wide, destructive path. In fact, if you look into the next part, there is a path to life. The second thing we need to identify in addition to the path of destruction as the band comes is the path to life. Verse 14 says, because the narrow is the gate and difficult. Listen to me, church. Listen, don't miss this. Narrow. Maybe underscore that and put the word limited. Maybe put constricted. Narrow is the gate and difficult, difficult is the way which leads to life. And few there find it. There's so many paradoxes in Scripture. If you read Joshua chapter 6, a picture of Jesus Christ. His name means in the, in, in the Hebrew, Yeshua, which is the Lord of salvation. It's a picture of Jesus. And you know the story when they went over to take the city of Jericho. Guys, y'all can come on out. The city of Jericho, there was a, there was a plan, an escape plan, if you will. Joshua chapter 6, verse 1, we were studying it Wednesday night at our Bible study. And God told Joshua, he says, that city over there that you're going to, you can't go in and nobody can come out. That's pretty defeating to me if I'm the, if I'm the mighty man of valor, the, the, the colonel, if you will, the general of the army, if it's to lead in for a battle attack. That's going to be a little defeating to me if the person that I'm taking orders from just says, oh, by the way, there's no way you can get in there and there's no way that anyone's coming out. But read verse 2. I love this. But I give you this city this day. You see, God is a God of impossibilities. You see, with man, there are limitations, there's hurdles, there's walls. There's things that we can't do. In fact, if you read in Judges chapter 7, you'll read of a judge named Gideon. The narrow way says that we look peculiar. How many of y'all know you look peculiar? Because I'll look at y'all up here. We're peculiar. That doesn't mean you got to be weird, okay? But we're peculiar. We're set apart. We are different. There's... Listen, there should be a little different walking, bumping our step as a child of God. Don't hold your head down, child of God. Hold your head up and know that your Redeemer lives, man, that it's good. It is well with my soul. But see, God calls us as he did Gideon. Gideon was a judge, and judges were sent to, to go into the people of Israel to bring them back to God. Gideon had 30,000 soldiers and they were getting ready to go to battle against the Midianites who wanted to destroy, utterly destroy the people of Israel. I'm guessing that Gideon probably felt pretty equipped. God calls out to him and he says this. He says, 
you got too many soldiers. Can you, can you imagine that? That's, that's not the greatest of military tactics, by the way, if you've ever kept up with that. It's good to have numbers. And God said, you know what I'm going to do? He said, I want you to mention to the men, the ones that aren't really here, the ones that are afraid, the ones that aren't really, really feeling it, let them be separated. 20,000 men walked off the battlefield that day. They weren't willing to walk the narrow way because it was tight. It was difficult. It was tough. Hey, what if we don't make it? What if we can't win against the Midianites? What if, what if it just gets too hard? What if I get killed? What if I take a bullet? 20,000. I'm guessing Gideon probably did like many times we would do in our life when we're up against the wall. And we go, what now? And God says, Gideon, you still got too many. I want you to take those men down to the lake, to the water, to the stream. And I'll tell you what to do when you get there. He told them to drink water that day. Some of the men got out on their knees, put their faces to the water, and lapped the water like a dog would. Others, vigilant, on watch. Because they knew a war was going on, church. Do you hear me? There's a war going on. There's a war for your children. There's a war for your soul. There's a war for our school system. There's a war for your marriage. The war is going on, and you got to be vigilant. you got to stand watch. And a few of them lapped the water with their hand, steady watching. God said, for everyone that got down on his knees and put their face to the water... They're not ready. Oh, they may be a soldier in your army, Gideon, but they're not ready. They're going to cause you more damage because their heart is not in it. They thought their heart was in it because if it wasn't, they would have left with the other 20,000. But they weren't ready. If you go on and read the rest of Judges 7, you realize that he was left with 300 men out of 30,000. God doesn't need a big number. God just needs committed people to say, I will stand watch, not on my watch. One of the greatest heroes in the military today may not be that sniper that you read about, may not be that colonel, that general that may get a medal for leading his men. It may be that guy who's on guard duty, who is a lowly, no-name private, who says, hey, at this moment, at this time, my job is to protect those men. I'm going to sit right here in this doorway. I'm going to stand right here in this perimeter, and I'm going to watch. And I dare say on my watch, nobody's coming in. That's what God wants the church to say and to be and to do is to say this. The narrow way is difficult. The narrow way is tough. The narrow way is peculiar. The narrow way gets exhausting. It's difficult at all angles. But God needs some men and women of God to stand up and say, hey, no more. Enough is enough. Because I, for one, spiritually have had it up to here. You can't have our children. Rhonda, they can't have our children. Do you know why we don't have prayer in the school today? Because we didn't stand up and say, not on my watch. But you know what? They can't take prayer out of your school. 
you grab your child by the hand and you say, when you get in there, you bleed the blood of Jesus over your classroom. You pray. You do whatever. Listen, they don't have to be antagonistic. They don't have to go forward and say, hey, hey, I'm praying. Hey, guess what, guys? I'm a child of the king. No, no, no. The Bible says they will know by your fruit. See, the narrow way says this. You come against me, I'm going to love you. You talk about me, I'm going to pray for you. I want everyone in this room to bow your head with me. I want you to know today, church, that God is calling you by name today to walk the narrow path. He's calling you by name today to say, be a little unorthodox, church. He's calling you by name today and say, get in the fight. Pick up your weapon and follow me. Get in the fight and do something for the glory of God. Two people, two types of Christians in this world. Those who are doing as much as they can for God's glory and those who are talking about them and doing nothing. Who are you today? What will you do? What will you do today? I pray today that you're not on that Broadway. I pray you're not walking down the wide gate. It's an easy journey. Do you know that you know that you know that you know that if you die today, you have heaven for a home? Do you know that Jesus is your Lord and He's your Savior? That you are saved, washed in the blood, redeemed by the power of Christ through the finished work on the cross? If you know that you have heaven for a home today, if you should die today, I want you right now, no one looking, but I want you to lift your hand and say, Mark, I am certain of it. I know it. I am. There's no doubt in my mind. Some hands, a lot of hands did not go up. Please put your hands down. What are you waiting for? Don't you please, please don't be the one who presents yourself before God and says, Lord, I was a member of the church. Lord, I was baptized. Lord, I did this. And he says, I never knew you. That's why we got to redeem this moment, this time, this second. If you want to know today, I want you to pray with me right here, right now. No further delay. No more personal debate. Make it right today and know. And it be settled forever. Pray with me right now. Father in heaven, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe he died on the cross for my sin. I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me of all of my sin. Save me today. Be my Lord. Be my God. Be my fortress. Help me to live for you until the day that I die. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you pray.